0: He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno Giulio.
1: Hey, welcome. We've got a great guest for you today, Norman Cassie, folks. But before I go there, I want to, Wednesday, 7.30 Eastern. RSVP for our next Zoom class. They've been extremely popular. Get in early. Be the Julio at AOL.com. Get on board. Also, our package for Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby, Oaks and Derby. Not only do you get, when you sign up for $59.95, you're going to get an email once the products are ready for Oaks and Derby, full cards, and you get the webinar. Make sure you get that. You get that in advance. Get your 59.95 Derby package today because that gets you reserve your spot on our Zoom webinar that's going to go over the entire races on both days. So you get to spend the weekend, Derby weekend, with me on Zoom, talking horses, talking the races, and even I'll even talk a little bit about how I'm going to play those races, which I don't like to do on the sheet. I'll tell you why I don't like to do that. Join me on Zoom. So wait a minute. Let's go out looking for Norm. Finally, I've been looking forward to this, to this gentleman joining us. Uh, not only have I got to know him a little bit, but I think he's an outstanding trainer. And I'm going to tell you there's five things that I look for in trainers. How their horses look, how they move, how do they come out of races, how the trainer talks to his owners, and how they listen. And let me go to the star of the show, Norm Cassie. Norman. Thank you for coming on board. People have been dying to hear from you.
0: Bruno, thanks for having me on. I love talking about horse racing. So anytime I can do something like this, I like to do it. Well,
1: let's talk about, first of all, I want to congratulate you. You've gone off to a good start as, 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 a, as a trainer after, after we uh, got to spend some time down at Palmettos uh, when you were working for your dad, Mark Cassie. Now, I do have a question for you. Your your grandfather was Norman Cassie. He was a horseman. Your father was a horseman. Now, you're third generation. Talk a little bit
0: about that growing up in a racing family. Well, the funny thing is, one thing that people, Bruno, one of the things that most people don't know is that um, my mom's dad was also a horse trainer. He just he just doesn't have the recognition that my grandpa and that my dad have he was just a small time trainer at r- places like river downs and they went from track to track so i i i like to you know say that i have the benefit of having both grandfathers being horsemen both being trainers and i thought obviously at this point my dad's a hall of fame trainer um but you know truth be told i didn't spend a lot of time around dad uh growing up as uh, you know in my childhood i my mom and dad separated when i was very young and i would only spend the summers with dad. Uh, but I, I'll admit I did go to the barn, but like that was part of my summer routine. I'd wake up every morning and go to the barn with my dad, uh, and kind of learned how to love horse racing and be around horses. Then it's funny even then. So I have a younger brother that, that I grew up with, and we would go up and, and spend the summers with dad and I would go to the barn and he wouldn't go. And, you know, now he's, now he's a Louisville SWAT team member, and I'm a horse trainer. Oh wow! We knew early on. Yeah, we knew early on what we were doing. He was he was kind of the badass, and I was kind of the <laughs> guy who wanted to get up in the morning, go to the barn, and be around the horses. Um, but I really didn't start learning learning about horses till after I graduated college, and I moved in with Dad up at at his Woodbine base, and uh, you know went full full steam ahead then. So
1: I. Preface the show by, by saying that I judge trainers by five different things, and number one was how their horses look. Norm, your horses look very well conditioned. They carry good weight, good color. They move well. They gallop well. Um, they do everything right. What do you do? What is your uh, what is your method of having these horses always looking like shiny? Brand new shiny pennies out there on the track. Well,
0: we just feel like we take care of them. We we, kind of, you know, it's pretty, I have a pretty simplistic training style. You know, it's cliche, but if you want to be the best, you got to kind of treat them like they're the best, and that's it. You know, I I don't think horses perform at a high level if they're not looking like they're at a high level. So if I'm not happy with the way a horse is working or training, then obviously I'm going to back off of them. the horse is losing weight because we're overtraining them or something is not, you know, they're not responding to something positively, then, then obviously we're going to back off of them. It's, you know, it's it's probably, I'm not going to preach old school horsemanship because I'm not old school. I'm, I'm, I'm new to the game relatively speaking, but you know, I think patience has probably been something that's been lost over a few generations. And I'm fortunate enough, to have owners that don't mind spending time letting the horse be at its high level. And, and you can see it in the reflection in my numbers, the guys, uh, you know, like John Hendrickson, Mary Lou's husband, that allow me to do what I want to do their horses perform at a very high level. And, um, you know, being part of being part of one of the hardest parts of being a trainer is not training the horses. It's training the people you know, everybody wants to go, go, go now. And fortunately I have some guys that already know, you know, you know, know the protocol, know how to treat a horse the right way. Those are the ones that are successful. The ones that I'm having trouble with are the guys that that want to go now. So I, I would just say patience and, you know, Bruno, at the same time, I've been around really, really good horses the last 10 years when I worked for dad and now, and I know what good horses look like and what they're supposed to look like and how they're supposed to move and how they're supposed to breeze. And, you know, I rely on that. And and your father,
1: when we met down in, a few years ago down at Palmettos, your father allowed you to just do your thing, didn't
0: he? Yeah, I, I really, you know, that's one of the things that made me confident enough to go out on my own because dad dad kind of let through the reins to me. So wherever I was, he just threw the reins to me and said, Hey, you do your thing. And so basically under his blanket, his ownership or his, you know, under his organization, so to speak, he, he essentially allowed me to develop my program, you know, through trial and error while I was training his horses. And, it worked out really, really well because here I was doing things like kind of experimenting on, on things and that type of stuff. But at the same time, calling and talking to him and getting his opinion. I never went out and outright did things without his, you know, approval or whatever. We always, we always kind of met in the middle. I'd, I'd have this kind of extreme idea. He had this old school extreme idea and then we would meet in the middle. And that's kind of where we really started clicking. So, that all happened because he he allowed, because he kind of threw the reins at me and allowed us to allow me to develop the system that I use now.
1: And you brought up about your dad being an, an uh, becoming an all of fame trainer. You were as you mentioned, you were part of that. How does that make you feel?
0: Very proud. I think a lot of people would probably think you know that I'm upset that I left or whatever, but I know. You know I know what it takes to run a barn. I know that Dad is just the face of that company you know he he he's the one who's been in charge of it for the last forty years or whatever he's been at. But there have been a lot of people, a lot a lot of people that have been under him helping him achieve that, not just the horses, not just the owners, but obviously the organization and the and the people that were under him he i i I like to think that I was that last piece that he needed. Because when I joined dad's team, he was basically just running Woodbine and he, and he still does, but he was just basically dominating Woodbine and he was very proud of that. And rightfully so, but Woodbine's a wonderful place. It's a great place to make a living. Toronto's a cool city. You know, I can't say enough about Woodbine, but dad, you know, dad was content with just being there. And and I wasn't, I, I, I had, I had wanted, I had bigger dreams for me and dad. And so I was kind of the one who nudged him, nudged him, nudged him, probably irritated him a lot in hindsight, but was the reason why he decided to branch back out to Kentucky. And a lot a lot for me was because Churchill and Kingland are my favorite places, and I wanted to be there. That's where I live. I wanted to be around my, my Kentucky family. So, you know, I, I digress. Um, long story short, it, it that was kind of the spark that set everything up. And the next thing you know, we started getting Teppan. We started getting Classic Empires. We started getting world approvals. And what happens is you start winning these races with these horses, and it's like a snowball effect. You just start getting more and more confident, and you start you start thinking that you're walking on water, and you can do things, and you believe in your program. And and that's, that's essentially what happened, Bruno. And, like, without... Dad wouldn't be in the hall of fame if we didn't we didn't come back to Kentucky, and he knows that we both know that. So, you know, I'm I'm just extremely proud of Dad. Have um, always been a proud to to growing up tell everybody that my dad's a horse trainer, and obviously I'm very proud to have helped him make it into the hall of fame.
1: The one thing that's interesting and that really perked my ears up as far yeah. as you going on your own is I saw it every day that you cared. You care about each and every single horse. I know us together, we've got a cheap little claimer, probably. And, but you care <laughs> about that horse. You know, you, 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 you know he's got some ability. You know you, you, you're trying to get it out of him. But, and he's frustrating as anything. But you care about that horse. And that, to me, is half the battle. Because I believe some trainers absolutely hate their horses. And if they're no good, they're on the other, you know, they don't want to see them or they, you know, um, and I've had that experience. And the one thing as an owner coming in, you know, last thing you want to do, you got your little homebred that you're hoping, you know, to do something good and make a little money, which is part of it that I have not experienced yet. But (laughs) you 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 actually make it fun. And I and I got to tell you, for anybody out there that's listening, you actually make it fun to have horses with you, and I was really impressed with that. You know, now my my partner Rudy Del is and and the Norlingers are sending horses. So, at getting all these, and you always have to work at bringing people in. Tell me a little bit about how Norman Cassie goes out there and tries to and tries to get
0: owners because that's the hardest part of the game. Well, first, let me talk about our horse. I, you know, it's not. I I look, I I don't, I try not to get attached to horses. I, I, I think it's a bad idea. I don't, I don't like it. Um, I, you know, they're animals. I'm an animal lover and I just try not to. So I, I do love all the animals. I am trying, but I think I look at horses like our horse Bruno as projects. He's something that I haven't experienced before. He's something that I can learn from. So like, I take it seriously because, as far as I'm concerned, this is something I haven't seen, and this is something that's going to make me a better trainer in the long run. So maybe I've got to change the way I'm training this horse. Maybe I'm doing things that worked for, you know, Teppin uh, or Classic Empire. They, they don't work for him. So we've got to change things up. There's got to be a way to utilize and maximize the, this horse's potential. Even if this potential's maiden claimer, he still should be able to win a race or two. So I think that's probably what you see in me more than anything. It's more of being driven by the idea that I'm learning. Um, Your second question about owners, I think that's part of one of my biggest problems going forward because I'm not as personable as I am. And, and, you know, you know, I, I'm easy to get along with. I'm easy to talk to. I'm not, and I'm very confident in my, and my program, I'm not that confident to go out and try to reach potential new clients. Um, but in the in reality, I, I don't even know if I want to do it. I, I, I just want the horses to win and speak for themselves. And then hopefully the people will come. They'll talk to me. They'll see, wow, he does a good job. He He's easy to get along with. We need to start sending him more horses. So basically, what I... My philosophy is make sure the owners that we have now have a good time. Everything's simplified for them. The bills are done correctly. The horses look great. We do as well as we can. We're honest with them. And hopefully, you know, we win a few races and then word of mouth spreads and we start getting bigger time clients and and going forward in that way. Talk to me about your relationship with Mary Lou Whitney. Just you know, I have more of a relationship with John. I was fortunate enough to be around Mary Lou. I'm, i I, I know, I know. Fifty years from now, if I I, 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 hopefully, I've won four Kentucky Derbies. I'm in the Hall of Fame myself, and everything else. I mean, hopefully, but I'm telling you, Bruno, one of the the best moments of my life is the fact that I won a maiden special weight at Gulfstream Park with Mary Lou Whitney in the winter circle with me holding my hand as the horse crossed the wire and that I'm getting goosebumps about it because her legacy and horse racing, there's no way to describe it. And she, she kind of, you know, she, her her sending me horses was kind of like a testament to, to, to everybody. Hey, this, this kid's all right. Send him horses. That's the best thing anybody's ever done for me. And it's, and her husband has a lot to do with that. John, I have an absolute great relationship with him. We talk daily. Um, he's easygoing. He loves his sport. He's, he's a steward of the sport. He's, he, he runs the hall of fame. He's doing a tremendous job with that. Um, and he's a, he's actually a dear, dear friend to me now. It's kind of like a relationship that you and I have where, um, he doesn't necessarily talk to me about the horses like you do, where he gives advice about the horses, but he gives me real personal advice. And, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for the friendship. And you've done, you've done very well for them. Um, I, I
1: want to guess, was it, um, it probably was a horse with the name of bird in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the bird. Oh yeah. And I got oh, a really well. great, story about that horse bruno because and and you know that's one of the horses that impressed you about me because he was he was a runoff type and we and he's so he's a perfect example of what we went we can go back to and talk about john gave john gave me all the time in the world with that horse he let he i told him i kept telling him we have to wait we have to wait he's fit enough but he there's things that he has to learn before we run him and and he gave me the time and and Tank. And you know what it created? He only won that one race, um, but it, it gave us our moment with Mary Lou Whitney that day. And I mean, that's that's more that's worth more than anything as far as I'm concerned. So let's set, um, let's set, the set up, up the was, table.
1: Let's set up the table for everybody. This is your first uh, Saratoga on your own. And I want to say it's two years ago, twenty uh, eighteen. Um, uh-huh. you, you're going to debut a horse, uh, mischievous bird on Travers day. It's in the first race. Am I am, I yeah. correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the horse had a couple of really nice works, but he was running off every morning. And I, for whatever reason, I didn't communicate with you. We didn't talk, but going into that race, I, you know, I got like three phone calls from guys about mischievous bird. I heard this horse is a freak. Oh, this horse can't lose. And I kind of sat back and I think I picked him third. I liked um, Dallas Stewart first time started that won the race. And, and sure enough, he went to the lead and he stopped. You took him home. I didn't hear the horse for a while. And then we're at Palmettos and you called me out of the blue and said, watch mischievous bird. I said, that's the horse around Saratoga. Yeah. Yeah. I said, is he running off? He goes, watch him. And you had him. You were just letting him be a horse, but you didn't. You you wouldn't let him run off. And this horse started getting smarter and smarter and grabbing a hold of the you know, bit, but not running off. And then you worked him one morning. I want to think that Julian Leperu did, correct? Correct. And you said, I'm going to hold him and let him finish. And boy, he finished. He did not run off. He didn't finish the last half in 50. He finished the last half in 48. And that's when I saw your ability to read one horse. And and I see all the trainers train. I see the stock they have in our spreadsheets. And I see a lot of horses that are all trained the same. And when you did that, I went, I want this guy training for me. So now that I did not know that you were in the winner circle with Mary Lou and she was all in your hand and I know how proud you were of that. So that's why we're setting this up for everybody out out to to, to understand that what you did. So now when you when you look back on that and you have a horse that takes off. And I and I'm going to bring one up. It's the fast filly you had by the factor.
0: Yeah, air of light. Yeah,
1: she's a lot of talent, but you also had to work with her.
0: Um, yeah, and- yeah, exactly, and I and I and this goes back to what I said, like with Sigmund, so or our horse Sigmund. He he is, you know, he's a project. He's think, I'm learning things about him. I learned things about Mischievous Bird that now relate to other horses that are runoffs. That yeah, they're real flashy when they breeze, but is that full speed for them? Like they're you know, don't get too excited. Maybe they're maybe they're just putting it all out there. We need to contain that. We need to harness that. So exa light's tough because she's just so hard on herself that it's you know, she has a world of talent, but she's just so hard on herself. But you're hundred percent right. I go back to the same kind of tactics I use with mischievous bird and and put in an air light and although she didn't she didn't pan out the way we were expecting we we maximized her i'm i'm convinced of that because she the way she was training before that she would have she was one of those horses that you know she she was going to run to the lead get get headed at quarter mile in and just completely stop that's the way she was she was training like that but we we maximized her and we got her routing on the grass so that's not it. That's not easy to do. I can't wait to use
1: Sprinter on the grass.
0: Yeah, well, it's just you know the truth is um, she, she has a minor setback, so she probably won't be back until next year. She's just got some minor bone bruising, and we think a world of her, so we want to give her time. Um, but more than likely we're probably fighting a losing battle with her, trying to make her a router. So she's going to be cut back eventually. We just wanted to give her as many opportunities as we can before we pulled the plug on the idea of her being a, a, a legit miler. But it's just, it just probably not. It's, you know, no. some horses just want to run. You know, that some horses, yeah. you can work them as much as you want and do things, but at the end of the day, they're happiest just running off. And, you know, if that's what they want to do, I think it's I and truthfully and I I don't mean to be funny but I I I think it's a little harder if to to make the Phillies do what you want than the Colts and it's kind of you know I I just think they're they're just they're more difficult and stubborn to deal with
1: now the one point you brought up was bone bruising now I watch horses when they jog and I've actually learned from my own experience. And what I loved is when before this pandemic BS, you could have have these classes that you could go to with Dr. Bramlage and you could sit in and he would talk about things like this. And I sat in on a class about five, six years ago about bone bruising. And the light went off. And for example, you know, uh, when I watch horses jog, I watch horses if they can jog correctly. If they can't jog correctly and they hobby or hobby jump around, that's usually a sign they could have some bone bruising. Explain to folks what is bone bruising and what how do you detect it and how do you um, not fix it, but uh, help that horse to where they can actually move uh, healthy and
0: sound. I don't know if there's a foolproof way. It's just probably a horse that we, you know, I, I I inspect every horse in the morning on the road pretty thoroughly. Bone bruising, a classic bone bruising horse would be a horse that's off and you diagnose, which, you know, that it's, that it's in an ankle and you, you take some x-rays or some images of it. And there's nothing there that really jumps out. There may be some suspicious shadowing or whatever that could be just the way that the image was taken and then you know you you may maybe you treat it with some therapeutics or whatever and if they don't get better then you write you it off as bone bruising that's that's i mean truthfully that's what i the way that i experience it and it's usually just kind of at the bottom of the cannon bone it gets really rough and and, and sensitive and horses won't perform as well for you and That's ultimately what you want. You want your horses to be healthy and happy. And so I go out looking for problems that we could, you know, hypothetically fix or things that need to be fixed with time or whatever because that's the way the horses perform well. You treat them good, they're going to treat you good. That's, you know, common sense. Um, But bone bruising is tough because… There's no fool, there's no foolproof way of doing it. You give them time off. You hope that helps. But the hardest part, and especially with a horse like Air of Light, is that if it's a horse that's hard on themselves and is really difficult to train, um, it's gonna, you're you're going to be fighting a very delicate balance trying to prevent it from happening again. And it's so, you. like, you give a, you know, you give them the time off, but then coming back, and putting them through the training regimen that they need to go through to be ready to run again, it's you're kind of just keeping your fingers crossed that they don't they don't suffer from the same bruising again. But that you know that's just those are just little things that you know the horsemen deal with every day. So you
1: also are very big on blood work on horses, uh, and yes, fans I, don't I get to it hear. Fans don't get to hear this part of the the, the, uh, horseman, and this is one part that I truly do love about you: is that you're very open about things. Where a lot of people don't want to tell you anything, that you know. But you and I have discussed blood work. Um, We do it as humans, right? When we go to the doctor, Mm -hmm. the first thing they do is they do blood work. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. What What does the blood work tell you about your horses? That can tell you a lot of things. So you, you pull a full complete blood count or CBC or you pull chemistry, which will give you enzyme levels and stuff. You you obviously want your horses, you want your red blood cells to be, pro, you know, at the proper levels. You you can find out, you find out a lot of horses are anemic and you got to address that. That's a That's a performance compromising thing. I, I always want to know where our blood cell levels are at. If a horse has got an elevated white blood cell count, that's obviously suggesting that the horse is getting sick. You want to know that? Like, like I'm not going to pretend to sit there and look, be able to look at a horse and say, Oh, I think that horse is getting sick. I'm not, you know, I, I, if, if you can look at a horse and know that it's sick, it's, it's too sick. Like you've waited too long. That thing should have been treated two weeks ago type deal. So, you know, I like to be diligent. Um, a lot of horses, their chemistry will come back with, with their muscle enzymes very elevated, and that suggests that the horse is tying up. Well, maybe that horse isn't clinic- showing clinical signs that the horse is tying up. You know, a horse that, that's walking poorly in the shed row with a big flare to his nostril, and, and it's uncomfortable. There's plenty of fillies that will be tying up every day. If you don't take their blood work, you'll never know. And that's another piece of the puzzle. That horse may be underperforming because she's uncomfortable. So now, now you've uncovered it, something that you wouldn't have un- otherwise known about. So things like that. And then I also love to, 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 to look and see, um, and this is, this is where me and you talk about, uh, liver enzyme levels, because I think it's a true gauge on a horse that's over the top horses that is overtrained, not happy, uh, when their liver enzyme levels go up you're doing something wrong with the horse whether you've overtrained it or um you've overran it or he's just not happy she's not happy it's the easiest way to see that a horse needs to be backed off or something needs to change um and usually 9 out of 10 times if the horse you run a horse that has a high liver enzyme level it's going to run up the track you know, it's a it's a it's a the preview or the coming attraction. So what you're saying
1: is, as a trainer, not only do you train your horses, but you're trying to you're trying to prevent you're trying to use preventive medicine um, before it becomes a problem.
0: Sure, I just want to be diligent. I I just want to know. I you know, I guess ultimately. The the biggest thing for me is when a horse runs and runs poorly, I want it to be because, you know, we were in the wrong race or we overvalued the horse or it was a bad ride. I don't want to have a bunch of other questions in the back of my mind. I kind of want to know we had this horse healthy. We had this horse happy. We know everything was good on him. And what you see is what you get type deal. And and that's it. I just don't, I don't want a whole lot of questions. I want everything answered. You, uh, uh, do
1: you handicap your own, uh, do you pick your own spots or do you have somebody that works with you (laughs) that handicaps or? I,
0: I, I have friends that I really value what they think and sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll reach out to them and you're one of them. I'll reach out to them and say, uh, you know, where should I run this horse next? Well, I, I, you know, I, and, and and then ultimately it comes down to what I, you know, where I enter. I mean, one of the biggest problems I'm having a really slow year, and it's all the horses are actually running really well. I'm just, you know, either having bad rides or bad trips or whatever. But the the one thing that people don't understand and really, I guess, is the one thing that frustrates me is uh, the fans is when. You know, you'll go and see, like, why did Norman, you know, or it doesn't have to be me, it could be any trainer, just insert any trainer. Why would they run that horse in that particular spot? And what you guys don't understand sometimes, I shouldn't say you, but fans don't understand, and this is more like lower-level claimers and not allowance or stake horses. What you guys don't understand is there may be one non-two-for-20 in the entire book And you know, as a trainer, your filly or your colt can't run a step over three quarters, but the condition book is seven eighths. But your owner wants to run, and you know the filly probably needs to run, so you run seven eighths, knowing fair, knowing well that you're not going to be able to get the trip, but your hands were tied. And a lot of my um, bad luck has been not necessarily the. That my horses have been underperforming, or that i've been having bad rides it's that the races i I want to run in aren't aren't there or they don't go, and then i'm forced to run in, in races I would never want my horses to be in in the first place and that's that's tough because one thing and I agree with it completely one thing that owners hate more than anything is is waiting to run they want to run their horses, and sometimes it, it is better to just go ahead and run, take it off take it off the chin, be embarrassed, and then have the horse ready for the race, you know, four or five weeks later on. So that's the one thing that frustrates me and one thing that that people don't understand or can appreciate what's going on behind the scenes as far as mani- managing the horses and where they run. Now, when,
1: when you talk about um, finding a spot, uh, it's been hard because, for example, we have had a lot of restrictions happen and things as so on and so forth. But now, as we go into... Uh, next week, we'll be going into the Churchill um, the Churchill Derby meet, and then we come back to Kentucky Downs, and then we go to Churchill, then Keeneland. Are you expecting to have more spots open up for horses? Now, you also have a lot of babies, so those are not as hard as trying to place some of your allowance horses in the correct races. Um, are you... Ex- I have been touting this late summer and fall in Kentucky as probably the best racing we've seen all year. How do you feel about it?
0: I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think we're getting ready to see something really special at at Churchill in September and especially Kingland in the fall. I think we've got a—you know, Ellis tried— and you got to respect any race check that puts on a product under these conditions. So I, I, I'm I'm never going to complain about it. But um, you know they tried. Unfortunately, their purse structure for their claiming races is really really lacking because they don't get they don't get this the Kentucky bred subsidy that the maiden and allowance races get. So their purses are good for maiden and allowance races, but the claiming races are poor. Maiden claiming claiming races those races haven't been going at Ellis. And we both know that those are the bread and butter races of a, any racing jurisdiction's tradition book. Okay, you know, 90% of races are those claiming races. Well, all those horses, they've been waiting for Churchill to open. So not only are you are going to have full fields in claiming races, you're going to have the full fields in the maiden and allowance races that you always do at Churchill. So you're going to, you're looking at, you know what's? How many days are they running in September? Seventeen or so. You're looking at probably. I I, I bet you they average ten horse fields, ten eleven yeah. horse fields every race. I guarantee, I guarantee they do. Uh, and then with all that being said, I'm expecting you know our barn to really light up Churchill and Kingwin because we're sitting there. I've ran my horses over the head, and now they're getting ready to go and run in the races they're supposed to run in with the intention of winning because I'm tired I'm tired of, I'm tired of <laughs> taking it on the chin. So it, it's time and they're ready. And for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know. I haven't figured it out. And, and this is one of my things I'm going to have to figure out going forward. Both me and dad have never done well in the, in the summer. And I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe the, the heat. I, I really don't know what it is. I, I don't, I, I, it's something I need to figure out, but the fall, you know the fall at Kingland and Churchill always do well. So, and it's who you knows? It could just be a coincidence. But um, I'm I'm really really excited to be back running out of my own barn at Churchill and and getting going at uh, you know to me the two best racetracks in the country,
1: Kingland and Churchill. I've got some of my partners that are going to be listening to the podcast, and we just sent you a little filly in by Temple City, the half sister to Sigma and um uh, you know those are the kind of horses that you, I believe you do very well with. She's very forward uh she's fast, probably you know we'll probably end up running her on the grass or something unless you feel she can run on the dirt. then we'll go from there but um uh, uh, when you get a new horse like uh Leah's
0: legacy, what's some of the things that you do when you first get them in? Well, I just like to get them settled in um. You know she's really really cool, Bruno. She uh today was the second day she galloped. Usually the first the first week we'll just let them jog, let them look around the first couple of days, let them kind of scope things out, especially with a baby that's never been to a racetrack, never seen the action. So you kind of want them to settle in and not be overwhelmed. So you you do that. And then you you gallop and her first two days galloping, usually I, you know, she came in kind of late. She doesn't really have any company because most of my babies are already in and you, you would, you would like to send a baby out in company, kind of like a work partner, just, just to somebody to show them the ropes. But unfortunately she doesn't have one. And I asked my exercise rider this morning, I said, you know, that's a baby, right? He said, really? I said, yeah. I mean, how how cool is she? And he's <laughs> like, wow. And it I mean it's true. You saw her yesterday on the track. Yeah. So jeez um listen, I don't get excited until horses start breezing fast and stuff like that, but it it definitely feels good when you come over and you have a professional horse already. And that's Rudy. Let's let's give Rudy some credit. All of his horses that have come to me so far, they they look like a million bucks. They're really well broken, they're really well trained. They you put your rider on and boom, you're off to the to training them to, to, to be racehorses at that point and to be fast you know he doesn't and he that's doesn't rudy del judas
1: in. we're talking about rudy del judas down yes. at classic Mile who handles all our horses now that's a great point and a great lead in because you're only as good as the horses that are prepared for you that when you that you get them in um i've always associated trainers that do very very well with trainers that get stock for example with baffert with McCathen, with the Heiseman, uh, they, they would get those horses in and they would be in tip top shape for two year olds. Bafford made a living with having the McCathins and you know getting them their horses ready. Your dad probably had somebody that did the work that was fantastic at getting them the horses ready to run. And for you, when you go when you started to go on your own, did you pick your own people to get your horses ready? your own group people that you trusted because you know they were going to deliver you a horse that you don't have to put a lot of work in.
0: No, you know, I kind of did the opposite. What I did was I, I I'm trying to develop relationships with a lot of different people. Because I don't want to I don't want to get typecasted or 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 you, you know, play that hand where somebody's not going to send me horses because I don't send them horses. So it's a very, it's a, you know, that's a very delicate balance. Like I, um, I, I have people that I like and you know, like Randy Bradshaw is the one who sends me all Mary Lou's He's Fantastic. Horse. He's very good. Does yeah. an absolute great job. Rudy does a great job. So now in turn, when I, I, and the other thing is Bruno, it's not like I have a bunch of people let me buy earling yet either but they're going to two or three years from now, I'm going to be one of those guys that goes out and buys yearlings. And now I'm going to have to figure out who they're going to go to. Well, I know two people they're going to go to. They're going to go to, they're going to go to Rudy and they're going to go to Randy because I, they've done such a fantastic job for me and they've helped me out. So I'm going to help them out. And, and that's why I did it that way where I didn't want, um, you know, I, I people who, who did like buy some, babies and suggested sending them to dad's place and i'm like no i don't want them dad dad's farm does an absolutely fantastic job i obviously have a rapport with everybody that works there yada yada yada, but i don't need people thinking that i'm going to send all my horses to dad and next thing you know guys like randy Bradshaw are like i don't want to deal with norman he's just gonna siphon my horses and send them to his dad's place that 's not going to work for me i 've already kind of got my back against the wall anyway. I want to develop relationships with everybody um and, and show them i 'm a team player so that's that's kind of what I thought going into this
1: Now I have to her. ask you oh that, that's norman that's that's a great way of looking at it, and you're actually showing people the character and the integrity that you have and and to me, that speaks volume um. And that's why I'm very proud to say that I, I saw something in you that I feel that you are going to be very good for this game. I've mentioned this on a couple of other podcasts, with other young trainers, that you guys are the future of the game. And if the future falls into your hands, I think we're going to be in a good position in racing. Now, I have to ask you this because I, I, when I told some people that I was going to have you on, the first thing that came out of their mouth is do you know who he's married to? And it's like being Joe DiMaggio and having Marilyn Monroe as your as your wife. Well you've got Gabby Godet, who's a superstar, like a movie star. How's that working out with and I remember when you had your first date with her. I'll never forget that. That was one of the funniest scenes <laughs> ever. But we were not gonna get into that. But <laughs> it, it was about a dinner and everything, and uh, I put my foot down. I said, you need to do this. And I did ask her, and I did ask her if you got told her the place you wanted to go to and to meet her. And she said yes, so I'll give you a lot of credit for that. But I want to ask you, she's a superstar. She's a movie star. How does that relationship go uh, between you two?
0: All uh, right, we have a great relationship. I I, I do want to. I'll tout my wife a little bit. I've never. There's a reason why she's as big as she is so quickly, and it's because she busts her ass. I've never seen anybody put so much time. Like you know, right now she's covering Fridays at Golf Stream. Right? She'll she'll for, you know, and the weekends. But the point is, the Friday card that's probably not that great you know during the summer at Golfing Park, she'll she'll handicap that card for 3 hours before going on air like never i've never seen her mail in a day you know it it, it it i i wish i wish i had her work ethic i'll be honest like it's like i don't i don't know how she stays motivated all the time literally all the time and she just cares so much it irritates me how much she cares like what people <laughs> <laughs> or you know like like she'll go back and rewatch segments, and you know it's like you know you're on you're on air live, you're gonna make mistakes babe you 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 can't be perfect, you know, and she'll go back and she won't be able to sleep because she she stumbled on her words, nobody else notices it but her, you know those type of things. I will say this, I did a lot of people. Uh, she's calling me right now, actually. But I get a lot of people on Twitter that will tweet at me, like it must be so hard for Norman to be play second fiddle to Gabby, things like that. And I just, what, I never respond to trolls because I think it's nonsense. But I always want to be like, yes, I cry myself to sleep every night. That's <laughs> the Gabby diet. Um, pray for me? Pray for me that I, I'm going through such a tortured life. So no i, I it, it i will say that one negative when the horses aren't running well or i do something stupid or 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 i run a horse where she says i shouldn't have ran the horse and it runs up the track or whatever she is my harshest critic
1: she's and merciless burns
0: about it the burn it what burns is she's right it's like damn i can't even argue you know, most people, like my mom, she'll be like, well, that horse didn't run that bad, Norman, and the horse got eased, right? And it would be like, Dabby, like, you are such an idiot. <laughs> so that's it, and that's all I'll say. That is
1: great, but that, you know what? I'll tell you something. I, I, I She comes from a family of, of, of horsemen. And by the way, if you hear all the noise around here, Joe has woken up. He has gone through every little thing that he could find, uh, you know, to, 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 to make noise. He's trying to get up on counters. Oh, he is just amazing when I'm trying to do a podcast. But she's a, uh, she's a consummate professional. She comes from a horseman family. In a way, it's got to be really nice. Do you ask her sometimes and go, hey, what would you do with this horse?
0: Do you all give the time. her? What, yeah, all the time. All the time. Because I trust her. I mean, listen, she's, she's, she has must, uh, as much about me going out on my own as anybody else. She pressed me to do it. She gives me the confidence. So, you know, I joke that she's my hardest critic, but at the end of the day, she believes in me more than anybody, too. So it's like, you know, I want to make her proud. But believe me, I know how sharp she is. I'm not stupid. And she'll ask me stuff, too. She'll. It's funny because, like, especially with first-time starters, she'll she'll have me analyze work patterns and stuff. You know, and we'll we'll talk about who who I like in a race with 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 no back form. You know, and so like believe me, a lot of I I know I've taught her a lot, and she's taught me a lot. I mean, there's no way to have a better relationship than that.
1: I, you have to tell her that I did say you're Joe DiMaggio and she's Marilyn Monroe. So you know, I, I, and you and know, I, the, I,
0: do you think I care to be Joe
1: DiMaggio? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> But you know what? There's a lot of the times in a lot of the times you get that kind of competition between uh, between spouses. And that can be kind of tough, uh, as we have seen, uh, for example, with George Conway and Kellyanne Conway. You know, that's been a disaster publicly for years. But the one thing I can say is that you two are both consummate professionals, and that's really good to hear. That she keeps you on your toes, and I'm sure you keep her on her toes when she has a couple of losing days uh, on, on on television.
0: I pull her up when she needs to be pulled up, and she does the same to me. So it's a it's a great working relationship. But you know, at the end of the day, we love each other, and and we have fun. You got you, your your spouse needs to be your best friend. I can tell you, Gabby's my best friend.
1: Let me ask you: Can she play Call of Duty?
0: She's terrible at Call of Duty. She's she she told me she was good at Donkey Kong Country, and I downloaded <laughs> it. She, she's awful. This she's is video games, folks. Video
1: games. <laughs> what good? What good? What's what's your best game? Video game.
0: <laughs> you know, it's got to be wrestling related. some I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very. <laughs> it's got to be one of those old school wrestling games or something like that. i actually really got into, uh, I like going to these new, I, I, I'm sure you haven't been there. Maybe we could go and hang out one day once all this COVID stuff is over, but there's this, uh, place called the rec bar. There's two of them one in new Albany, one in Louisville, and they have all old school pinball. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Like 40 or 50 of them in each of them. And I, that's kind of my new thing. I like going and playing pinball. It's kind of fun. It kind of, let your, you know, kind of makes your brain numb for for an hour, you know, not worrying about stuff. So that's kind you know of what been my new favorite thing.
1: game was, my favorite video game was when I was growing up. And you sound like a 70 to 80s kind of kid, you know, and you're like in your 30s. But it used to be yeah. the old boxing game with Bald Bull and Glass Joe. Oh, yeah.
0: I, I just downloaded a bunch of stickers. I just I, I just downloaded some stuff to put in, in my garage. I was kinda just putting up some nostalgic stuff in my garage. And uh a knockout, Mike Tyson's knockout. Uh that that game so I have a Nintendo Switch, which and I only bought it because you can download it basically has every Nintendo or Super Nintendo game on it. I don't play any new stuff, to be honest. I just like the old games that make me feel kinda like a kid again. So, but both, both Mike Tyson punch outs are on the super Nintendo and the Nintendo version on that switch. So just little things like that. I love those games. Is that a way to, for you to get your,
1: um, uh, kind of get the anxiety or getting that pressure off of having the, the train forty fifty head and having to, to basically really, uh, perform daily.
0: I think so. I, I, I do. and, and, you know, and Gabby does get frustrated when I'll go downstairs and play video games or whatever. I'm like, Babe, this is my time to just zone out. You know, like I've I've been, you know, I've been talking to people like Bruno all day. You've got to let me zone out a little bit. Thanks.
1: <laughs> well, i right, we're, I'm gonna. Have, I got two more questions for you, and this has uh, been a. This has been great. I really appreciate you being so open and talking about this stuff because you don't get that a lot. Um, your favorite yeah. wrestler of all time.
0: Brett the Hitman Heart.
1: I'm sorry. Oh, oh, the Hitman. Brett. Yeah, Brett the yeah. Hitman Heart. Yeah. Okay. I, I, have to say, <laughs> I can minded, all afraid. Macho Man Savage. I know. Savage. The <laughs> I,
0: know. I had so a coolest. As...
1: By the way, I got... And, and, and I don't mean to uh, overshadow you on this one. I got to meet Brett, and I got to meet Macho. When I was working through the police academy, I was working for security... Uh, and actually, I was in charge of walking the wrestlers from and to the back, back end of the, the stage yeah. to the actual stage uh, and to the ring. And there was one time where Macho Man got got beat up by somebody really beat his butt. And I had the him back. And he's leaning on me. I got him by the shoulder. He's doing the, oh, I'm, oh, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, you know. Uh, and some guy comes over and he shoves one of those uh, those little horse wooden things right into a certain area of my body that made me wince. And I, he picked himself up. He grabbed the guy and he threw him three rows into the, in, <laughs> into the stands. Yeah. And, and then he goes right back down on my shoulder. Walking him back, and we get back behind. We get behind the, the the curtain and stuff, and he straightens up right away, and he looks at me. and goes, you know, and he gives me that that one that Macho Man look with one eye, and he walks off, you know. So, so I, I, you know, and then I got to meet Brett and Tito Santana. So you and I have a little bit of that rustling love, you know, Dusty Rhodes, you know. So uh, it, it's really cool, Brett the Hitman Heart. We got to get a horse and name him that. Uh, yeah, future. or the
0: you know the his nickname or his gimmick or whatever was the excellence of execution. That's probably more than eighteen letters. Yeah, that would be a good name. Well, well what, what's your last question?
1: Uh, and The last question is: You've got a couple of young horses. Can you give us a couple of horses you're looking forward to in the next couple of months?
0: Uh, I have a filly for Mary Lou in on Friday, named Super Quick uh, at Ellis. I I think she'll run really well. I you know. She's going five eights. races like that are all about the break. If she breaks sharp, I think she'll be tough to beat, but that's a big if. Um, and then I have a Philly named Malbu Bird that's already ran once that uh, I really, really like. She should, she's probably going to run on Oak state uh, sprinting again one more time before we try to route her. But I want to, I want to sprint her one more time. I think she's going to, She's talented. She's just another one that's going to need some time to develop into a horse that learns how to harness that speed instead of just running off all the time. And I'm excited because I got Johnny Velasquez as a rider on Oaks Day. So I'm excited. He, he'll suit her good. Who's your favorite and jockey? Then, I, I love Julian. I think Julian takes a lot of crap. I, I think you've got to put him on the right horses. But he, uh, you know, I, I like to train my horses to be in the bridle. And and to be aggressive. And if 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 they're meant to be that way and they are that way, Julian's one of the best people to harness horses that are doing that. You know, the problem with Julian is he'll get, you know, he's not the ne- necessarily the best one to ride on a lazy horse or a horse that falls out in the back because next thing you know, he lets them get too far back. And, and that's a recipe, recipe for disaster. But, I mean, the guy takes a lot of flack. Um, for a man who's won seven Breeders' Cups and two Eclipse Awards and things like that. But, you know, especially in Kentucky, I think he's one of the best. Uh, as far as guys that I don't necessarily ride too much that I respect, I really think I, – I like Luis Saez a lot. I, I, I know, and he's he's obviously taken some heat this year too. But I don't know. He's just such a cool dude. Like, he's just easy to get along with. And he – um. He's just he's hungry, you know. As much as much success as he's had, you can tell he's he just wants to win, and I I like winners, so uh, I, I I like I like riding Louis when I when I have an opportunity. He is he is money man.
1: Now, if we were to put names to wrestlers, Johnny Velasquez would be like a Ric Flair. He always wins, you know. He wins the big ones. You, yeah, Louis but Saez he's not dirty.
0: Be- no, no, no. So if you want to do it real, then Louis Saez would be. Louis Sayas and some of those guys and may take a little bit of liberty, you know, maybe hurt out a little bit, maybe play a little dirty. Well, those—that's Red Flair. I okay, mean, I, right. I see Johnny. I, I see Johnny. Okay. as, who like uh, uh like a perfect like Mister Perfect or something, where he's <laughs> you know he always you know like perfection, like he's Mister Perfect. Julian would, I mean, he's I friend, would so he be? would be well. He'd be Rick the Model Martel, or okay. uh, Bruno <laughs> no, San Martino. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, really Flo's going. flo has got some arrogance to him. He would be Rick the Model Martel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's for uh, another show. Right. I, I, that I is for another. Bruno. Show. I've said enough. I've already said enough. All right, so <laughs> let's let's end it with that. I'm gonna and, I'm gonna face uh, some real heat. And Norm, Norman Cassie, I, I'll tell you
1: folks, if you're at the track eventually and you run into Norm, he's great to talk to. He's a really good trainer, and he's going to be a great trainer in the future. So uh, just put that away. And and Norm, thanks so much for coming on board. This has been a lot of fun for me because I'm a fan, and I'm your friend, and I'm and 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 hopefully we'll have a few winners together. So. Norman Cassie, folks, I hope you give him
0: a hand. He's been fantastic. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Bruno. Thanks for having me on. And I know we're going to win some races. Let's keep going.
1: I really want to thank Norm. I really, really enjoy doing that. I enjoy all my podcasts, even with Ron Flatter. But uh, I love to have Norm on. I really believe in him. I think he's wonderful. He's, he's, he's everything that comes across on, that, on this podcast. So really, really enjoyed it. Also, Wednesday, 7.30 Eastern. 7.30 Eastern for our Zoom. Remember the Eastern part? I had guys trying to get on at 10.30 the other night on the Eastern, thinking it was 7.30 Pacific. I don't know how that gets all messed up. 7.30 Eastern for the Zoom, but you need to RSVP at bethejulio at AOL.com. I will send you an email with the link, in the afternoon on Wednesday. So let's have some fun. Join me on Zoom. Thanks to Norm. Let's go get them this
0: week. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.